I'll be reading from Matthew 5:21 to 26. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you will be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Good day. Happy to be with you as we enter God's word together. As you just heard from Caitlin, we are talking about anger today. Anger comes out in many ways and many places. We had to minimize our social bubbles recently, and over time that might lead us to feelings of annoyance with family or with friends or coworkers who maybe are a little bit too close. Or we might feel anger towards people who disregard our health and compromise our safety. I wouldn't be surprised if most of us only had to look in the last couple of days to find a time when we experienced a flash or an outburst of anger or frustration. On a more serious note, domestic violence has gone up all over the world over the last few months. One country reported a five-fold increase in calls to a hotline for women suffering abuse. Some experts are calling for governments to set up help centers in grocery stores since victims might not be able to express themselves or get help through technology at home with their abuser. Anger fuels rage, and it can lead to much harm. What is it? that winds us up to become angry with the people around us? And how does God meet us in our anger and offer us peace instead? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has just finished describing the characteristics of a kingdom citizen. He showed his disciples what it means to follow him. And he's revealed that his mission on earth is not to get rid of the law, but to completely fulfill every word that was written for instruction to God's people. So as we open the word, let's pray and ask God to bring understanding through his spirit today. Father God, thank you for giving us your word and allowing us to know you. I pray that you would humble our hearts right now, mine too, that we may know what you have in store for us, that we may see the beautiful life that you have given to us, And that as we engage in this concept and talk about anger, that you would show us how you want to redeem our hearts and transform our minds so that we can live lives of freedom. I pray this all in your most powerful name. Amen. Jesus begins his sermon by going back to the oldest laws the people of Israel would have known. And he shows what it means when he says he's going to fulfill the law. He quotes from the Ten Commandments the most basic of instruction to God's people. He's going to do this a number of times for the rest of this chapter in Matthew. Here, he says this. 
You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. It's a fairly straightforward law, but Jesus peels back the heart behind the law. Remember, his mission is to fulfill the law and the prophets. So he steps into the place of authority when he says, but I say to you, it's not a new law. It's a deepening of the true law. Jesus said, it's not just the physical act of murder that leads to judgment. It's the heart behind the act. It's the thought and the word before the action. He says, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus makes emphasis here by effectively repeating himself three times. It's helpful to see this context because it shows us what sort of anger Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about anger toward injustice or sin. There are things that we should be angry about. Jesus became angry throughout his ministry, but he never sinned. We can see this in the story from the apostle John, when Jesus made a whip and chased people out of the temple grounds for making it a trading hub. When we see injustices all around us, we're not wrong to get angry. There have been many injustices highlighted throughout the media over these last few months. And injustice has been carried out for all of human history. But it's what we do with that anger that dictates whether we align with Jesus and allow righteous anger to lead us to good works, or if we allow selfish, evil anger to lead us to sin against our brothers and sisters. Paul writes in Ephesians 4 verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So there's more to what Jesus is saying than just plainly never be angry. It's important that we realize that anger is a secondary emotion. It's a response to something in our reality. We get angry when something doesn't go our way or when something gets in our way. We get angry when we believe we deserve something and we don't receive that thing. The love of self drives us to anger. I was driving down the street this week on my way home after work. It had been a pretty full morning of meetings, so I only had a few hours to work on some talks and do some admin stuff. There's a corner close to my house that has two lanes that merge into one lane after the intersection. Usually that one lane moves pretty well, but on this day it was slow. We were waiting for the light at the next intersection to turn green so that we could get moving. Suddenly, the van behind me whips out into the parking lane and rolls all the way to the front of the intersection, merging in at that light instead of waiting in line like the rest of us. Now, needless to say, I was upset. That's not how it's supposed to be. That's not the way this system works. We all wait our turn. I kept following him down the road a few cars back, and then as cars turned off the street, I was sitting right behind him. And I thought, great. I should be where he is. He should be behind me. We kept driving and he swerved around a car that was parallel parking. I thought, wow, 
I wouldn't be surprised if this guy ends up causing an accident. Serves him right. And in that moment, I heard the Holy Spirit say, Brody, why are you so angry? Yikes. I'm trying to write a sermon on anger and the one who's, I'm the one who's driving around the city hoping that other drivers get their dues. Talk about blind sin. I was angry because I felt that I deserved something. I felt that I had somehow been wronged. And if I'm honest, I wish I had thought to drive in the parking lane so that I could have been at the front of the line. All these things whirling inside of me, and it was only a 10-minute drive. In today's passage, Jesus is addressing a specific form of anger. He's effectively addressing the outworking of our anger. He associates anger with murder and with insults and abuse. This is an anger that results in harm to another person. Thinking of it that way, we can see why Jesus draws this comparison between murder and anger. Murder is taking the life of someone who was created in the image of God. Genesis 9 verse 6 says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. It is an affront to God himself when someone is murdered because he has put his image onto each one of us. The same can be said about anger. Where murder leads to physical death, anger leads to relational death. When we look at others with disdain and with anger, we mentally or verbally attack that person that God has created in his image. And it can lead to physical harm as well. But Jesus hones in on the assassination of relationship through insult and anger. We're left with bitterness in our hearts and in our mouths. And it affects everything we do. How we talk about that person, how we talk to that person. Our hearts become a festering wound of anger and evil. These thoughts roll out of our heart that thinks itself to be right. A heart that defends itself against anything that comes against it. I have a younger brother and growing up, we didn't always get along. There was one night when we got into a huge fight. And although I can't remember what it was about, I do remember the emotion. My father sat us down in the living room across from one another. He wanted us to talk it out. Me, thinking myself to be a logical person, I came up with a conclusion. I see only one solution, I said. He's got to go. I was so angry with my brother that night that I wanted him, probably only 15 or 16 at the time, to move out and go away. I was willing to destroy that relationship that we had because I felt that it was the only way to make things right. We experience moments of anger often. Some of us live in constant anger. We might use different words like frustrated or annoyed or irritated. How do we live as salt and light, like we heard a couple weeks ago, when we're really just salty about things? We might try to justify our thoughts on our anger. I know I do. This isn't how it's supposed to be. I've been wronged and it needs to be made right. I need to defend myself. No one else will. God hears all those thoughts in a good way. He knows all those feelings and he's done something about it. When we look to Jesus, we see the answer to our anger. We find a man who loves his enemies. How? We find a man who spends time with the rejects. 
Why? We encounter a man who turns the other cheek and humbles himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus shows us the most beautiful way of living. It is in Jesus that the flood of human pain and fear crash against the assurance that God is in control, that God is better and beyond what I can attain through my reckless anger, my destructive words, my bitter comebacks. In Jesus, we see the restoration of relationship and the healing of hearts. God loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us so that anyone who believes in him has eternal life. Jesus came to give life to the full. We are able to love because God loved us and freed us from sin through the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross and the victory that he took when he rose from the dead. So where the love of self drives us to anger, the love of God drives us to Jesus. When we come to terms with the power of God, we can focus on redemption, not revenge. We can focus on redemption, not revenge. We can seek restoration, not reparations. When we come to terms with what we deserve, we see that we should receive judgment for the evil in our hearts. We deserve the hell of fire that Jesus mentions. We deserve judgment because we have chosen time and time again to murder our fellow man and oppose our creator God, who has every right to send us away from himself into death. But Ephesians 2 tells a different story. It says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sin, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. We recognize our helpless state, our bankrupted hearts, and we turn to the wealth of mercy that Jesus has shown us. This is freedom. If you don't yet know Jesus, if you don't follow him yet, this message is for you. It's a message for all of us. There is freedom in Jesus and only in him. We don't have it in us to muster up grace or mercy. We don't have to work our way out of our anger and just try to do better. Jesus offers to transform our minds, our hearts, our desires. He leads us from anger into peace. He takes us from fearfully defending ourselves to trusting the blood-bought promises of God. Even if that means that we experience loss or pain or death in this life. Because the life that Jesus offers is more than this life ever could be. So does this mean that we just stop feeling things? We just shut our brains off? shut out the emotions we don't like and pretend everything's okay? No. We can get it in our heads that it's wrong to feel fear or anger or sorrow. We've referenced a book a couple of times in the last month called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Peter Cesaro. In it, Mr. Cesaro reminds us that God is a God of emotion. He made us with them after all. He says, scripture reveals God as an emotional being who feels. A person, having been created in his image, we also were created with the gift to feel and experience emotions. It's good to feel, but our emotions get twisted up because we start from a place of sin or selfishness. Mr. Cesaro goes on to state that this can lead to three thoughts that feed our emotion. One, I am what I do. Two, I am what I have. And three, I am what others think. 
if one of these is out of line, a response we might have is anger. If I, Brody, feel like I wrote a bad sermon or didn't convey something quite right, I get angry with myself because I think what I do defines me. If I, Brody, see someone else getting something that I wanted or felt I deserved, I become jealous and possibly short with that person and I allow disdain to enter my heart. If I, Brody, am insecure in my position with others, I might get defensive and scathing in my remarks towards someone who voices what I perceive to be judgment against me. But the love that I receive from God, the freedom I have in Jesus, these answer each of those fears. I am who I am because of what Jesus has done. I have everything I need because God is my provider. I don't have to worry about what others think of me because God already thinks the world of me. Enough to send Jesus to die in my place and give me life. That's worth celebrating. Yet, even if we experience the grace of God as we get to know him, Jesus shows us how unresolved anger still destroys relationships. After focusing on the anger we might feel toward others, Jesus addresses the tension and the anger others might feel toward us. The passage today continues like this. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Jesus leaves no room for animosity. I read a story last week about one pastor who would stand outside the church with the doors behind him locked. As people came to attend the worship service, he would start by announcing that the church would remain locked until everyone had made peace with one another. This was a smaller village, the kind where everyone knows the gossip and the going-ons. Only when the pastor was satisfied with the reconciliation taking place would he allow the worshipers into the building? We would live very different lives if we sought reconciliation at every opportunity. This comes back again to our foundation in Jesus. The only reason that we can be people of reconciliation is because we have been reconciled to God. We just sang, oh, come to the altar. And it's true. The father's arms are open wide to us. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. But we cannot appropriately approach the altar if our hearts are far from our brothers and our sisters. So when Jesus interrupts our act of worship, it's because he's commanding us to live our worship. We stop our act of worship so that we can go live our worship. We respond to the power of the gospel through transformed hearts and minds that lead us to love others well. We cannot love if there's anger or bitterness between us. So it is the love of others that drives us to reconciliation. To further that point, the apostle John wrote this in a letter at the end of the Bible. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Love overwhelms anger. 
Love leads to reconciliation, even when we are not the perpetrator. Notice that Jesus doesn't say whether or not we are in the wrong. He just says, if someone has something against us, to go and be reconciled. Does this mean that we need every single relationship always in line before we worship God? No. Otherwise, God would never be worshiped. We can't have every relationship absolutely perfect, but we also can't throw our hands up and avoid those circumstances when people have set themselves against us. If we believe that Jesus has reconciled us to God, then we must seek to reconcile ourselves to others as well. We must seek reconciliation. It's the overflow of grace that we have received. The Holy Spirit transforms our minds so that we're not stuck defending ourselves or fearing the other person. Instead, we lay aside our ego, our mindset of that's a them problem, and we take the weight and the work of making the relationship right. When we've done what we can to rectify the relationship, then we are invited into God's presence to offer our gift. Now, you might be thinking of a person right now, and along with that person, you're thinking, yeah, but you don't understand what they've done to me. I want to quickly call out that sin of pride and urge you to make things right. I urge you by the love of God for you and the love of God for the person you're intention with to put yourself aside, to take on the mind of Jesus and to be reconciled. This too is freedom. There's no freedom in staying angry. If you don't forgive, if you don't seek reconciliation, you're staying in a self-made prison. If your boss, for example, gives you more work at the last minute, Jesus doesn't leave room for you to spout poison about them to your friends over dinner or to talk bad about them to other coworkers. If a brother or sister says mean words about you or gossips, you don't have to gossip back. You are called to instead approach them and seek peace, love, and humility to restore yourself to them. If your child gets a bad mark on a test, you get to come alongside them and remind them of their approval in God's eyes, not because of their performance, but because of his great love for them. And you get to love them too. Jesus closes this portion of teaching by showing us the consequences of unresolved conflict. He says, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. If you can resolve your issues with your brother or sister, great, you're finding reconciliation. You're living the life Jesus designed you for. But if you cannot, if you put off reconciliation, you may find yourself in greater peril. By admitting our failings and our faults, we can earn back the relationship that is compromised. But we can only admit these failings and these faults when we recognize that we are not under the shame of our failure anymore. No one wants to admit when they're wrong. I definitely don't. It's a painful thing to be found out in the wrong. But let's not kid ourselves. <laughs> we often get things wrong. 
We often do things wrong. Jesus loves us so much that he has taken our shame and our guilt and our failures. They are dead and gone, and we have new freedom to live unashamed. So when we have an accuser taking us to task, we can admit, yeah, I'm wrong. Let's make this right. I received a sort of angry email the other day. Someone was upset with something that I had done. When I read it, I felt a rush of heat flow through my body. My fingers and my toes tingled. Anxiety crept over me. My usual response used to be pacing around, mind racing, thinking of how to defend myself, trying to find the hole in this person's argument so that I would come out on top. I didn't want to be wrong. This time though, the Holy Spirit spoke gently to me. Or rather, this time I heard the Spirit speak to me. He's always talking. It's just easy to ignore him when I'm focused on me. The Spirit said, Brody, are you this person's savior? (laughs) Obviously not. Then why are you trying to save them? I like control. I like predictability. If this person doesn't like me, then I've failed and people won't respect me. He asked, can you control how others see you? No. Do you know how I see you? Wow. That's a transformation only Jesus could have done in me. Now, instead of responding in anger, I could come to this person and admit that I made mistakes and I can seek a solution with them rather than batting them away. The love God has shown to me, I can show to others and I don't have to get angry. It's not a very long passage, but there is so much going on when it comes to anger. The solution is not to throw more effort and spin your wheels. That's probably just going to lead to more anger. What we all need is more gospel, more Jesus, a deeper understanding of the life he offers, a clearer picture of the grace he has given, a better perspective as we turn to the better person who has saved us to live according to his beautiful way. We're going to enter a time of reflection and response with a few questions, as well as a song called Majesty. The words of the song revolve around a heart changed by the love of God. A heart that realizes we are forgiven so that we can forgive others. As we sing it, you may want to use the words as a prayer. You may feel God calling you to embrace Jesus for the first time today. You may want to speak the words as repentance because you've built up so much anger. God invites us into new life. There's a prayer that stuck with me since college from J.D. Greer's book titled, gospel. It's designed to start a time of prayer. So maybe that's what it'll do for you today as we respond. The prayer goes like this. In Christ, there's nothing I can do that would make you love me more and nothing I have done that makes you love me less. Your presence and approval are all I need for everlasting joy. As you have been to me, so I will be to others. As I pray, I'll measure your compassion by the cross and your power by the resurrection. Amen. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.